Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You are now tuned in to the Roto Experts. Hour number three, the Roto Experts, this Saturday edition. It's not quite a marathon show, but we're, we're getting through some stuff here. That was a great interview with Rich Shermanella. A guy knows so much about college football, it's scary. You can listen to him here during the year. We'll, we'll do some, we're likely to do some combine um, content and some NFL draft content, and I would suspect that Rich is going to be a big part of that like he was last year. We had a really fun night doing the NFL draft show last year with a group of us, myself and Corey Parson and Emery Hunt and Dane Martinez, and then Rich Gimonello and Joe Lisi joined the next day to do some more draft coverage. It's um, it's a fun time of year for me when you're a football junkie and a draft junkie and all that kind of stuff. And I've backed off on trying to... Uh, predict stuff just because that becomes too hard. It's, uh, it's, I know you do a mock draft. Mm. For me, it's too hard because I can't follow college football in the way that I want to, in the way that I once did, um, just because I'm doing so much NFL stuff during the season and prepping for shows, multiple shows a week. And, um, I, you know, I got young kids at home, one of whom has the flu. Sorry, Owen, with his 102 fever. Uh, get better soon, buddy. But in any event, it's too hard for me to watch games every Saturday, so I don't have as good a feel for the players mm-hmm. as maybe I once did, even though I do watch and follow. The one thing I like to do with my mock drafts, and I think that they're different than a lot of the way people will construct theirs, is I don't really... I off air. I said to you, I think that Lamar Jackson is better than Josh Allen. I think that I would prefer uh, a team to pick him over him. But if I do a mock draft where I have Lamar Jackson go ahead and Josh Allen, it's completely it's a waste of time, in my opinion at least, because that's not going to happen. So it's really just me going out there and putting out my own draft analysis. And while I can give you that, I think it at least I find it more fun and I think more valuable when I at least put out that type of content is to be able to as I just read mock drafts from all of the different sites and when things start to get sourced or things are becoming common i think that there can be threads that you find there so if you know there's been reports that um josh allen might be the browns guy so like that's something that you try to pay attention to to see if that starts to become a common theme and a lot of people are starting to think that josh allen's going to go one mel kuyper hasn't won because now, that's now become Mel Kuyper's guy. That's a different style of mock draft. But he'll, he'll be the first one to tell you this could very well change. Like, he's just he's trying to read the tea leaves before mm-hmm. the Senior Bowl is even played. Just off the back of the national championship game, he's trying to make a projection there. And he's the first to tell you he's got 90 days to talk to coaches and GMs and try to get a sense of... Yeah. Uh, what's doing it and those guys are are using the media to their advantage as well there's a subterfuge and smoke screens and all kinds of stuff going on with teams to try to make sure that they have a sense of or that other teams don't have a sense of what they're going to select so josh allen being the number one pick right now i think could very well change to clarify my statement earlier i don't think the browns have to take a quarterback Mm. i think they probably will I do think they could continue to get more value. And the reason I say they don't have to is because there's a cluster of quarterbacks that they could take at the top, and they also pick at four. So unless they had a top two that they they would say, if we don't get Allen, we're happy with Darnold. And they know that the draft isn't going to go that way. Like if they're – say they trade that one, that one – is going to be a quarterback, sure. right? Because somebody's going to come up. The Bills. Denver, maybe. Whatever. whatever. Yeah. The Bills have a ton of picks. That's yeah, why yeah. I just keep picking them there. But it could be anybody, right? Mm-hmm. 
and it could be the bill. Sorry, the little kids waving into the studio. So um, it could be anybody that's coming up there to get the number one pick. They are going to be a quarterback. If you, they get a sense that the Giants are number two, mm-hmm. not going to take a quarterback, and they're going to stay there and take Barkley. Sure. Then there you go. So there's now there's only one more selection. Mm. We're talking about the Colts, who don't need a quarterback. Mm. And if they don't move, then the Browns have their second guy in their top two that it could be, say, Allen goes one. Then they're like, great, we got Darnold at four. And we got a haul of other picks. That's how I could see it working out. Are they going to be too scared to do it? Can they engineer it the way they want? I think it would be difficult. I'm just suggesting that they don't have to take a QB at one. There are two things with that. One, I, I think it's totally fair, but I will say one, I think ideally you should have a guy. There's a lot of guys to pick from, but I think ideally coming into any draft, I really think that if you're talking quarterback, you shouldn't be like, give me Donald Rosen, I'll be fine with it. Like You should have, like, I want Donald, or I want Rosen, and, right, I keep banging on the table. <laughs> Just, hey, I want, I want one of those guys. I think that should be clear. The other thing is, when you continuously move all these picks, right, you want at some point to get supreme value, kind of get lucky with it. I think that's what happened with the Texans this year, where if Watson never went down, their season could have been very different. They may have been a playoff team or something. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that pick that you moved, it you still have extra draft capital, but now you have the first and the fourth pick. So I think that you are now in a position where you've done a lot of the trading back stuff. You already have more picks than everybody else. Get the players now yeah. and get and get the people in. Now, I think if they want to go Cousins, there is enough there to where that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think that, that he I think helps that could be part of it too. Because if you're going to add cousins, or if you if you're picking first, adding a cousins, you would think be like, I don't know if that helps close the gap enough. But with cousins, the way they built that offensive line last year, Josh Gordon coming back, Corey Coleman potentially being healthy, and the first and the fourth pick, and what would still be enough uh, cap space to make impact uh, for defensive signings, I genuinely believe that through that strategy they could contend for a playoff spot agreed so i I think the cousin strategy could be okay um i do think that given they have tons of cap space and uh, given the fact that he's a long-term commitment my inclination is to draft the rookie there um he what could he do close the gap enough with all the other players they need that they're finally getting to eight and eight that shouldn't be your end goal. Your end goal should, build, should be able to build an organization with a franchise quarterback that you can personally prospect, scout, draft, develop, and be your franchise quarterback. To just try to take a guy off the free agency market because you're worried about your your inability to evaluate is the wrong way to go. John Dorsey, by the way, is a new GM. Mm-hmm. It's a new regime in some respects. So I think he's going to trust himself to draft a quarterback. Ultimately, I do think they're going to draft a quarterback. I'm just painting a picture where they don't have to. If I can quickly, and we can close this out. Yeah. Fear, you draft a guy at one, and he has a new head coach next season. Does that exist? Because I don't know if you I don't you think can... John Dorsey wants Hugh Jackson to be there anyway. I, I so agree. he's going to be he's going to draft the quarterback that he wants, and then he'll pick the coach that he wants. Isn't he? Jimmy Haslam isn't in the way there, too, but he is maybe, always in the way. If so. Haley's there, the offense coordinator, maybe he can go up to head coach, and it's maybe a little more seamless. That would I mean, be interesting. There, there are things in play there. I don't know. that. Pete, I think Pete, Todd Haley's getting... Um, he may not be an easy guy to work with, but I think he's getting a bad rap through all of this. He did a very good job at the Steelers' offense. So uh, let's move over to MLB. We'll talk a little bit about this and then get back into the Super Bowl for tomorrow. Tony Sakata going to join us in 1040 to talk about the game tomorrow. So um, there is, I know it took us a while to get to this topic, the free agent market has obviously been extremely slow. <clears throat> there are players biding their time. More so, seems to be teams that are biding their time. There is a rising tide, according to a notable agent, a rising tide that he stopped short. Uh, This is Agent Brody Van Wagenen of Creative CAA. He stopped short of using the word collusion. It's the behavior of owners feels coordinated rightly or wrongly. Um, The Major League Baseball Players Association is arguably the most powerful union in America. The teachers union would probably argue with me. Fine. You're in the top two. Those are the top two. Teachers calling been in the numbers right now. They've been steamrolling the owners, <coughs> who I'm not crying for because they're all billionaires, and they're making plenty of money, too. But they've been steamrolling the owners, not agreeing to a salary cap since 1972. 
shout out to Kurt Flood. May he rest in peace. Kurt Flood opened the floodgates, pun intended, for everybody else to get paid market rate. That market rate seems to have a little bit of a cap on it now. There's a luxury tax cap and all that kind of stuff, and we can argue all that kind of stuff. We don't have enough time to do it. But the reality is somebody feels like there may be something that is leaning towards collusion. There are a lot of players that remain unsigned. Hugh Darvish is still out there. Eric Hosmer is still out there. By the way, seven years for 147 pretty good offer eric i know you want an eight year <laughs> that's not collusion i'm sorry jd martinez didn't get 200 million you aren't worth it they've determined you aren't worth it people are going to point to jason hayward's contract the market bared that at the time they overpaid everybody thought that at the time <laughs> now the brewers have lorenzo kane and christian yelich for less money in the next five years than the cubs owe jason hayward so I'll lay it at your feet. What are your thoughts about his claim? Normally, when it's owners versus players, I always seem to be siding on, on, on the side of the players. Not This time, I, I really can't. I don't think you can claim collusion or feel that there is a, a big conspiracy working against you, even have a, a conversation about a potential lockout, because you feel that you are worth double what they feel that you are worth. I understand that these players were projecting and were probably told by their agents that the contracts they were going to be offered would be significantly more than what has been put on their plate. However, in all sports this happens, sometimes owners get uh, get ahead of themselves. They think that they can spend more than they probably should. Jason Hayward, at the time, I would say most people did rip that contract, but at the time, it wasn't too crazy. A lot of people probably hated it more so because of the talent, less than the actual financial figures, I would probably say. But even if you look recently in the NBA, the two off-seasons ago, where Timothy Mozgov and Luol Deng were the first two free agents signed by the Lakers, and it kind of set the market and everything went ablaze, and all of these guys, now Bismack Biombo had these ridiculous contracts. When just last season, Nolan's Noel couldn't even get a deal as a restricted free agent, now is playing out on the Mavericks, and... and they're not going to have an NBA lockout because Noel got didn't get the max contract he assumed he was going to get. The market dictated at two years ago that Noel would get a max. But as we continue to develop and see things and, and the way that the salary cap moved, it wasn't going to happen that way. So whether they're trying to correct a market that MLB owners and, and GMs kind of messed up for themselves by overpaying all of these guys, or they're trying to protect money because they're looking ahead to the Bryce Harpers and the Manny Machados, and they want to have bundles of cash for those type of players, whatever it may be, I can't side with the idea that, or I can't feel bad for a J.D. Martinez saying, I was told that was worth $200 million. How am I going to settle for $120 million? Yeah, uh, I, I I agree. And so a, a couple more statistics there. More than 90 players from this year's initial free agent crop are still unsigned. That's a lot. I and mean, that's three over three rosters worth of players. So and those are major league players. Keep that in mind. These aren't these aren't a bunch of double A, triple A major league guys all pulled together. These are major league players. Three and a half, three plus rosters worth, not three and a half, three plus rosters worth of players that are still unsigned. Granted, some of those guys may see may get through spring training and still not be on rosters, as is almost always the case. There's a few guys, but uh, no Darvish, no Arietta, no Martinez, no Hosmer, Mustakas, Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb. <coughs> excuse me, are some highlighted names there? Lorenzo Cain's five-year, eighty million dollar deal is the most lucrative this offseason. <coughs> excuse me, I did mention. What Hosmer's offer is alleged to be, it seems like Darvish has suitors and is trying to pick the best one. While I did say I don't, I don't feel sympathy for the players, and I necessarily in this situation, I don't think that they're, I don't think their feelings are justified. I do think that there is some, there are legs to stand on the idea that owners have had conversations and are all sitting this out because I do think that if we were in a situation where. Everyone's just kind of sitting on their hands. I feel like there has to be one team that would kind of look at it and go, maybe I can kind of jump in right now and grab Eric Hosmer. Or, or maybe I can jump in right now and grab a Jake Arrieta or a Hugh Darvish. It's hard to jump in, though. The guys, I mean, San Diego and Kansas City have both offered him a really significant amount of money. Like The Mets could jump in and do something like that, but they're the Mets. And 
you know, they just don't do stuff like that. They actually got they that Jay Bruce signing looks com- very shrewd, right? Some people think Jay Bruce signed too early, but you know, having thirty nine mil in your back pocket is not so bad. Could he have gotten more than that? Probably if he waited it out. But he was tired of waiting, and now look at these other ninety guys without a contract. They're freaking out, and it's getting to the point where. Tony Clark, the associate, the executive director of MLBPA, said players will continue to defend themselves if, quote, attacked. And the uh, the agent that I mentioned earlier, uh, Brody Van Wagenen, I think that's how you pronounce it. That's my best guess. I would suggest that testing the will of 1,200 alpha males at the pinnacle of their profession <laughs> is not a good strategy for 30 men who are bound by a much smaller fraternity. These 1,200 players have learned firsthand that battles are won through teamwork. And they understand that championships can't be achieved by individuals. They're won by a group, united by a singular focus. Victory at all costs. I'm done reading that. Yeah. But, but very, it's a it's a very much a Jerry Maguire memo. Very galvanizing. He's not going to get fired, as far as I can tell. Uh, but in any event, there is a suggestion that they could strike at spring training. Do you think that that's a realistic possibility? I want to say no, but... That's mainly because I, I think it's a little silly that this is how they feel. Kenley Jansen, if I'm not mistaken, under contract with the Dodgers, has openly said maybe it's time for us to strike. Yeah, so if a player who is financially, if I'm not mistaken again, set, fine, I think he was paid recently by the Dodgers, I could be wrong on that, then maybe these other guys are going to be willing to do it. And if the Players Association feels as if that they can round up these guys and, and possibly be sitting out, that becomes... A really interesting thing, and I guess ultimately it takes one, whether someone ponies up for J.D. Martinez, we'll use him as the example, or he just accepts what is a much lesser of an offer, where then we'll know where that would kind of be the breakthrough, whether all right, teams are going to have to pay what players expected or players are going to have to settle for what owners want. But if we don't get that at any point, then... Maybe a lockout's really in play here. Uh, Red Sox president of baseball ops, Dave Dombrowski, acknowledged that this is very unusual. It's the slowest offseason he's ever been a part of. He's been around baseball probably four decades. So we're going to come back, put a bow on that, talk football. There's a Super Bowl tomorrow, and Kevin Walsh's Eagles are in it. I think they're going to lose. We'll talk about that next. (laughs) Playing daily fantasy basketball this year? Consider Daily Roto your go-to resource. Whether you play on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. With a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, there's no better place to get your NBA DFS content. Better yet, you can save 10% using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com slash premium and learn more about our awesome product. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from Studio 34 in Midtown Manhattan, Rockin' Riley's. It was a buzz in the restaurant because Duke is playing St. John's at Madison Square Garden, which is actually right across the street to give everybody a sense of where we are. Uh, so we're in this restaurant, uh, sort of a live atmosphere in front of us um, as we're in this fishbowl. But a lot of people get fired up before their games that happen across the street, whether it's Rangers games, Knicks games, uh Last there was a we well, the NCAA tournament games here a year ago. I think they played at the Garden last or whatever. One of the Barclays, one of the two. Uh, what the heck was here? I think was Madison Square Garden one of the regional sites last year. Is that Wisconsin had the big shot? Yes, I mean, Wisconsin, yes. Miami, right? Yeah, South Carolina was here. Yeah, it was the Garden. Yes, so nailed it. In any event, do we? Um, so there's a very often a very cool buzz, and, and Duke is playing St. John's in about uh, half an hour. So you see a lot of peeps that are uh, getting fired up for the game. Maybe a little uh, pregame cocktail, a little brunch uh, before the game. So I'm supposed to go to that game. 
plans got altered. You know, you got a sick kid at home. Got to go home. Wanted to hang out with me. I get it. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I should have got tickets for you. Could have gone together. But anyway, (laughs) I blew that opportunity. I blew it, as they say, which has very often been said to me. So uh, Fantasy Factor. Super Bowl squares are back at Fantasy Factor, giving away over $2,500 in cash and prizes. Free entry. Fantasy Factor is the perfect daily fantasy site for the casual recreational player. There's flatter prize pools, smaller fields, and single entry contests only. Fantasy Factor runs NHL and NBA contests every week as well, so those are free rolls, and they're free entry. Simply sign up and enter. www.fantasyfactor.com. And to give you a sense of what's happening here the rest of the day, it's this show. We're out of here in 35 minutes. Tony Sincata will be doing weekend fantasy update with Joe Galena, and Tony's going to join us for the last segment. He's probably going to pound on Kevin's Eagles uh, for the final segment. He'll be joining us in about 15 minutes worth of time. Uh, anyway, if you'd like to call us and give your Super Bowl prediction, please do that for the next half an hour. It's 84FNTSY. My Super Bowl prediction is 27-20. Patriots think they get the cover. I always like to throw a few field goals in there. If people get a little touchdown happy with their scores, I think a couple of drives could stall. Maybe we finally see the Patriots score a point in the Super Bowl in the first quarter. It's very weird, right? It's such an odd statistic that the Belichick Brady teams in their now eighth Super Bowl together in the previous seven they haven't scored a point not a point in the first quarter at any of those games that is a very weird thing and I think that comes to an end I think if there's some sort of prop bet in there about the Patriots over under in the first quarter I'll take the over finally it doesn't mean that they're going to blow the doors off the Eagles. I'm just saying maybe they put up a score finally. So uh, I need uh, – we haven't – I've tiptoed around it all mm-hmm. show, but we need a prediction from you. You're an Eagles fan, yeah. but we need to, I need to hear what it's going to be. I, I, can't, I can't give you a score because, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way in my brain. <laughs> but I do genuinely believe that the Eagles are going to win this game. There, there, are, there are things that work. So if I let me give credit to the other side. I think that the most dangerous thing is, and as we spoke about, is the up-tempo pace that the Patriots can put on them and the fact that Gronkowski is always a matchup problem, but specifically for this defense, is, has the potential to be very problematic. But what I think the Eagles have defensively is a couple of things. One, they have the ability to stop the runs with just four guys, the, the two interior guys, and that I think allows them to play out of their nickel quite a bit. I think that they have the pass rush that is required with the depth to do it for four quarters and I do think that they have playmakers and that's and that's a really big thing is you do have to force turnovers you have to be able to get Nick Foles the ball in short field and I think that they check those boxes on the defensive side on the offensive side this is the one thing that if we look at last week's game the Jaguars were able to do some things offensively in that first half before they bottled up and basically closed up shop that where they were successful whether it be some short passes RPOs um I think in every single position on the offensive side, the Eagles are better. I think Nick Foles is a better quarterback than Blake Portals. I think that their receivers are better. I think the tight ends are better. I think the running backs are deeper. Leonard Fournette is the best running back if we include all, but I think the running backs for the Eagles are deeper, and I think the offensive line is better. Ultimately, what I think that the Eagles' offense can bring to the table is a couple of things. One, I, I do think that the RPO stuff is very effective. I also think that schematically, it sounds funny because Andy Reid does get bashed for what he does in the playoffs, but game one of the season, despite the fact that at the time the Patriots could not play defense, they were able to do a lot of good things to that Pats defense, and that is who Doug Peterson learned a lot from. Okay, let, me pause, let me pause. Hang on. You're on a roll. I don't want to stop you. A lot but, of stuff. Um, point total, 48.5. You like it to be a higher, higher scoring game, lower scoring game? I think it's under. I, I, I keep, you said twenty four twenty one earlier. I, I did. That like was a score. I mean that that's totally reasonable. It's forty five. It's under. It's close, but it's still under. I, I think I do think it stays under partly, and that might be biased is me thinking it's under. Maybe because I think that it has to be under for the Eagles to win. That might be why I keep thinking under. But under is just keep uh, is what I keep feeling for it. Um, another thing that I do find. Interesting is something that we mentioned before is just the fact that if the Eagles find themselves with a lead, is that they can and will, I think, stay aggressive, and they're and they're not going to to close up shop, but they're going to try to close out the game. They're going to step on the gas pedal as opposed to trying to ease up. And I just I think that they have the the, the leadership, the mentality there, and I do also feel like at the end of the day, 
I think the offensive line and the defensive line battles, I think that's the biggest personnel gaps. That's actually been their calling card, too, the way they've dominated. They did a very good job against the Falcons um, dominating on, on the lines. Obviously, they did a great job there against the Vikings. The odd part about these NFC Championship games, the last three years have been blowouts, and those teams have lost each time. The Panthers blew out the Cardinals. Cardinals. The Falcons blew out the Packers, which I saw coming a mile away. And then I did not see the Eagles situation coming. In fact, I picked the Vikings to win that. I picked a tight game. It didn't surprise me that the Eagles won that one. I was actually more surprised that they beat the Falcons than the Vikings. Does that make sense? I didn't like the I didn't like the Vikings coming off of that huge emotional. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still thought they were going to win. Actually, the Vikings. So <laughs> yeah. don't get me wrong, but I I felt more confident in picking the Falcons over the Eagles than I did the Vikings over the Eagles. It sort of doesn't make sense. I no, know it doesn't, but <laughs> it might. I I was worried about that huge emotional situation that they came off of and the manner in which they won. Um, I would have. By the way, I would have picked the Saints against the Eagles too. That uh, was to me. It always, it doesn't really work that way because it's hard to say like oh the Saints would have beaten the Eagles but they lost the Vikings. It is all about matchups a lot of times though. I thought that the Saints were I keep banging on the table. I thought the Saint I thought the Saints were were very very dangerous if they would have went into Philly. The one thing that I think could have worked for Philly was the outside stuff because they're they're used to playing in the dome. Yeah. I just thought that the Saints then would have been riding. Yeah, it was um, cold. They it was cold that day. They would have had the appropriate momentum coming into that game. Well, let me ask you. So let me ask you something. We're gonna mix it up. We we'll go good news, bad news. We're gonna start with the bad news first. The Eagles will lose this game if you think they're gonna win, but they will lose this game if. I think the, the two big things that will really do them in is if they. I mean, if if they can't, I want us to keep Brady off the field. That sounds. I, there's a better way to phrase it. But I mean, they control they, control they, the tempo. They have to do that, but it's if Foles turns the ball over. That's really the big thing. If the Patriots have short fields, they're going to get. They're going. Then the Patriots will have that comfortable Super Bowl. They have to play if a Foles, clean game. If, if Foles starts to turn it over, if they have the fumble issues that they had in that Falcons game as well, they have to be able to capitalize. This is kind of the thing. The Patriots are so damn good that things that really shouldn't be calling cards of a team are. The Patriots get credit for being the only team that focuses on taking away your best weapon. How is that possible? That's yeah, what every team every, should try and do. Yeah, they do. They focus. They 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 are given credit for always being able to close out a half or start a half with a score. That's what every team should be able to try to do. But Brady's it's, a master of scoring in the last two minutes of the half. It's just because they their execution is also perfect in things in, in things like that. So yeah. those marginal things make a difference, whether it be. Getting seven points instead of three points. Getting three points instead of punting. Well, uh, here, Four, you know what I mean. On this point, yeah, I, I think you make a good point, and, and I think the Jaguars game perfectly encapsulates that in some ways. You could look back at last year's Super Bowl too, but the Jaguars game—they were getting dominated in the first half, but they continue to do the things that they are always coached to do. And they chip away, and they chip away, and they chip away at certain things. So that they continue to execute in the the manner that they're supposed to. And once there's a slight opening, they take advantage of it. You could talk about the penalty that shouldn't have been. Yeah, it shouldn't have been. But But it it was. It was a penalty. They threw the flag, and they immediately come down. Nobody's discussing it. The Jaguars are ticked off that Bouye gets this bad call. But what do they do? They line up and they run it in for a touchdown. So there's that. And then I thought the thing that perfectly encapsulates what it is they do, the punt, the punting situation. They're constantly, constantly on special teams trying to take every advantage. The short kickoffs, tackling the guy before the 20-yard line, mm-hmm. punting, making sure you continue to force them to punt and Perfect punt coverage, perfect punt return every time, maximizing every yard. They kept pinning the Jaguars down. They kept pinning them in the second half to the point where they never had a short field like we're talking about. And then what happens? The one time Nortman doesn't hit a punt right, Amendola, 20-yard return. They're on the 30-yard line. They're in business. They scored a touchdown. Obviously, it was a foregone conclusion. Then when they got the ball at the 30, the pass had won that game. Unless... Bortles had a miraculous final drive, which you know clearly didn't happen. Then, of course, Steelers cast off James Harrison, forces a fumble. It's just so unbelievable, like the storylines. But I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist on the Pats' penalties. I do think for the last two games, they have gotten really good breaks. Uh, 
I, I'm less worried about the six to one penalty gap. I thought it was a bad call on Bouye. Uh, I just found it hard to believe they got one penalty for 10 yards. Yeah. That's a break. I thought they got breaks against the Titans, too. But if you look at the history of Belichick and Brady, I think it's 166 penalties in playoff games, 166 penalties for their opponents, and 164 for the Pats. There's no conspiracy theory. Things every Pats fan thinks now. the league is against them. Now every non-Pats fan thinks the league is for them. I don't look at it that way. I so just thought they got a break, and they, they take advantage of every break. I want to say this to the point, though, that you made about the field position stuff. I remember it was Brady's uh, suspended first four games. They played the Texans, and they literally beat the, Tekken, the, te- the, Texans, the Texans because Goskowski kept kicking before the goal line, and they had to take it out, and they fumbled those twice. That's one thing. As far as all the penalty stuff goes, this is one way I've described it, and I'm curious what you think of this. I just think that there is an unintentional bias that exists within referees because there's the expectation of the Patriots doing things the right way. Fair or not, they've earned that because they have been doing things the right way, and they've been there. Yeah, and the home games, there's influence, too. I mean, it's, it's most stark in the NBA, but NBA officials call games for the home team. But I, I, I also think there's a thing is if LeBron happens James, in Major League Baseball, then certainly I'm sure if they got down to it, it would be that way in the NFL. They're human. They're, they're going to be influenced by it, by team, by uniforms based on the team's reputation and by the home crowd. I, I think the thing is, if 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 this is, I think, a, way, a good way to, to put it, if LeBron James drives to the basket and misses what looks to be an easy layup with tight coverage, they're probably going to call a foul because at the end, at, the, at, at this point, Benefit of the doubt goes to LeBron James. Unless it's at the end of the game and Kevin Durant fouls him three times and they don't call anything. Fact. Um, but I think I think that's kind of a, a good way to put it. There, there's another thing though that I, I want to say that's it's been overshadowed uh, a little bit because everyone says that the Patriots can figure everything out. Their defense is still not good. We we we're going to talk a little bit about it. We won't get into it probably too much. But as far as efficiency becoming a thing in football, DVOA is starting to become I think a lot more popular amongst football people. Certainly writers and people who do podcasts on this network. I'm sure people are a lot more aware of it than they were in years past. They finished with a fifth fewest points allowed per game. I think it was eighteen and a half, mm-hmm. which sounds like a terrific mark. It is a terrific mark. It's a terrific mark. They were 31st in DVOA. So at the end of the day, it's like, well, I'd rather give up the fifth fewest points and I don't need to care about DVOA. That's fine. But what it really comes down to is if you are 31st in DVOA, I think that still means that you are at risk of giving up big plays, big scores, big games. And that's why it's not surprising. I think a, a big reason, I think anybody would admit this, why that number is so low, that 18.5, is because of the incredible position they are constantly put in by their offense. No short fields. They control the, they control the tempo. Also, the offense jumps out to early leads, and therefore it forces the opposing offense into predictable situations where you know that they're going to have to go pass heavy or be looking for screens, and, and it allows you to kind of zone in on sp- specific things but i think because their defensive dvoa is still 31st in the nfl there is a reasonable it's reasonable to think that the eagles offense could go out there and actually have a fair amount of success ranking ranking from one to 32 what do you think the patriots opponents average starting field position where do you think it ranks in the league oh and they have to however their opponent's starting field position would be the least advantageous for any team in the NFL, right? For That's the, right. the Patriots, def- the Patriots rank first yeah. in their opponent's starting field position, meaning their opponents start on average at the twenty-four point eight yard, their own twenty-four point eight yard line. It's indicative of coaching. That is all coaching. It is the thing that he is unbelievable at. He's a former special teams coach. They just chip away. It's just these games. Look at. We're talking. We've talked all morning about how close their all their Super Bowl games are, and how many how great they are at winning close games. It is it is that mm-hmm. it is that am, amongst other things, they are t- they are trying to use every single yard on the field Absolutely. and every single advantage they can get and squeeze out of it. And you know what happens at the end of it? The other team gets a little tight. They miss a punt. He um, slightly miss hits a punt. Boom! We're on the thirty yard line, and we're going to win this game and that kind of stuff. So anyway, so your two keys. Let me just get back to what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Your two keys, they got to play a clean game. I think you're right. I think the Steelers played a clean game against them, and the Jaguars actually played a clean game against them, and the, both those teams are right there. They needed to make a couple of more plays in order to win that game. But you're right. They need to play a clean game, and they're going to need to control the tempo. I agree that that is the single biggest key tomorrow. They will lose tomorrow if they allow Brady to get in to get on the field more than – it's hard to pick a number – 
I'd say you want to keep him off the field. You want it to be about a 34 to 26 split if you can get there. Because if he's on the field half the time, he's going to run up tempo and they're going to have problems. As far as the Eagles, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's it. I think that's the, the biggest key to the game. I think they're going to play up-tempo and not allow you to get into that defensive line rotation. But it's up to JHI and the whole crew to keep him off the field. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap that up, that conversation. We're going to bring in Tony Sincata. We'll talk more about his prediction of the Super Bowl next on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. We're back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, our final segment of the day. Super Bowl 52 upon us. Kevin Walsh, the Eagles fan. Mike Blewett, not a fan of either franchise. I think, unfortunately, the Patriots are going to win their sixth Super Bowl here tomorrow. And I'm going to bring somebody else in who is a Massachusetts native. A one-time Patriots fan. I think he would call himself impartial these days. And ubiquitous host on this network, on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's Tony Sincata. He's up next on the Weekend Fantasy Update. But uh, you can find him each and every day here doing DFS and a, a whole host of other topics. Right, Tony? Yeah, a little bit of everything. You know, it's interesting. You know what's funny? You grow up a fan of a team, but then I became a fan of Tony Sincata, and I realized <laughs> that Robert Kraft won't pay my electric bill ever. That's right. So uh, I've become a fan of Tony Sincata. Yeah, I, I don't I don't bump into Mike Tomlin much these days, so <laughs> I figure I figure I'll listen to your golf DFS advice and fire up a couple bucks. And, Joke's uh, on you guys. Doug Peterson pays out, my Ubers. Knock out the electric bill. <laughs> So <laughs> I would root harder if, if – I would be an Eagles fan. If Doug Peterson wants to pick up my Uber bill, I'll become an Eagles fan. <laughs> By the way, Lane Johnson said he was going to buy beers, right? For, for all. So, so that's actually Tony, there you go. Enough. Free beer on Lane Johnson. It's not too late. There's a great uh, picture uh, that circulated the internet. Have you seen it? Of the guy, like, he's having, like, a romantic moment with his girlfriend, like, on the street in Philly. And in the background of the picture is two guys urinating on a building. What has a better chance of happening, Lane Johnson buying me a beer or Donald Trump building a wall? Hmm. Lane Johnson buying you a beer. I'll go. It's a lower cost on the on the beers. <laughs> so. this, the wall cost is really inflated quite a bit. And I'm not sure who's paying for it. I think I'm paying for it. It depends on what type of mood Tony's in, though. You never know. That tab could get up. Yeah. Quickly. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Tony, Kevin, uh, you and I were texting earlier. Uh, throwing cold water on Kevin's good weekend here, uh, trying to explain how we think the Patriots are going to get this win tomorrow. My prediction is You know what? I've changed, my mind on this. I've changed my mind in the last 20 hours on this game. I think it's going to be a blowout now. I don't even think it's going to be close. And I'm going to tell you what, what's going to happen here. And, I, and I'm going to give Jake Seeley a lot of credit. Jake Seeley, of course, from the right here on the Fantasy Sports Network, does an amazing job. He does. The Eagles, like everybody's talking about how good their defense is. They have one huge, huge weakness that the Patriots are going to exploit big time tomorrow. And the New York Giants took them to task. Jalen Mills is arguably the worst starting cornerback in the league. He allowed nine receiving touchdowns against him. They only played that side of the field the Giants did against him, and that's exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. I, I, you guys did a good job talking about Malcolm Jenkins probably having a cup of Robin Gronkowski tomorrow, takes him off the slot position. So that's already now we got a guy on a tight end. That's usually there. Now we're going to have a, a, a defensive back on a slot receiver. In one-on-one, Jalen Mills can't cover anybody. Do you think it's Mills on Cooks then? Is Cooks the guy with the big day? 
I don't. No, I don't. I think it's going to actually be Hogan and Danny Amendola. I actually, if I were doing a prop bet, and I didn't because the Super Bowl MVP betting on Brady, what what are you? You're probably like two to nine or something like that right now. <laughs> yeah, so both I would quarterbacks. I, I think I actually think Amendola would be my call for tomorrow. For tomorrow, yeah, I, I would consider Gronk, but we've talked about that. I would consider Amendola. Kevin, your thoughts See, on Tony? Amid- let me, let me Amendola's a little risky before we get to that because he's got 21 targets in the last two games, so that's great, right? But the Eagles did a good job all season long on slot receivers. But good point. if they put Jenkins on the tight end, then that changes the way they're playing the defense. True. So this could be shifting. It would be yeah. so Patriots for Hogan to be the hero tomorrow. So go ahead, Kevin. Your thoughts on Damn, James and- Devlin will win Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, as far as the the whole thing being a blowout, I just think all year long it's just even when, even when Wentz was healthy, people were saying eh, Eagles are probably not that good. And I understand it's the Patriots. Oh, I think it'd be uh, a tight. I, I think it'd be a tight game with him there because he would exploit a lot of the Patriots' <laughs> defense. I think. I think it's like if if the MVP was playing, it'd be a tight game. I just I understand the mystique of the Patriots, but I just think that the Eagles have been looked all se- overlooked all season long. Like this is what this is one of the things that I found really funny is there were a lot of people who felt that if I said this to Tony last week on Gold, there's a lot of people who felt that if the Vikings were there, that would have been a really dangerous matchup, and they could have been able to do some things. The Eagles proceeded then to blow that team out, and people responded by saying, "Oh, this should be a cakewalk then for the Patriots." And I just I don't understand that logic. I will throw out a name that when I keep trying to think about a, a Super Bowl MVP, of course it's different for me because I think the Eagles are going to win. I really think JHI has actually like a legitimate chance to win Super Bowl MVP. Well, if if, if the Tony if they controlled the game script, which is I think the single most important thing tomorrow. They're going to need to keep Brady off the field because I think Brady's going to run up tempo on them to try to not Absolutely. not let them get the defensive line rotation subbed out. Um, I do think that's I think that's why they're going to lose because I think Brady will be successful at that. But um, if the Eagles are able to control the clock in that manner, would wouldn't it then make sense that a Jai could be the guy doing that? It would make sense, but has there been any single team that's been able to do that this season? I mean, the team with the most success on them, you could say, was the was the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Yeah. And they didn't even run on them. They threw the ball on them. Yeah, Bell Bell caught double digit passes for over a yeah. hundred yards. He didn't he didn't grind it out on them. I mean, the this, problem is the Steelers can play ball can, control that way, but very few teams can. Yeah, the problem with the Patriots, right, is if they get ahead or if they're in the game, you just can't keep running it, run it, run it, because you know the offense that we've seen it time and time again. And I, I, I just think that when you look at it, they're going to try to do that, but so has every single other team, and that's the hard part. And that's the thing is when I, when I look at that other cornerback and noticing that matchup, I'm like, oh, my – and then going back and look at the Giants' scores against them, and, and Ben McAdoo, who's not the greatest offensive mind in the world, figured out how to beat him. He didn't beat him either time. Um, well, he didn't beat him, but he put up 24. It's a mortal victory if you're a Giants fan. They had no victories this year. They had two, and they, I don't even think those counted because they, they ran out of the one pick. Uh, as far as J.J., though, it's less about volume, and it's just more about what he's able to do with those. He has all postseason long, and, and he, he did it even when he was in Miami. He has big play ability. When he gets to the second level, he, he, he has a burst, and I think that that is something that you can see. The way they, they run their their run schemes a lot is there's a lot of stuff to the outside. One thing that the Jaguars did last week, like, yes, Tony, they, they just tried to run it, but they're just running straight into offensive linemen. It was just a big pile of crap, and Fournette just kept falling into it. There, It's not going to be that simplistic, and I do not think that the Eagles' approach is going to be this simplistic, what did the, what did, what did the, what did the Giants do? Oh, they, they ran the ball a bunch, they got really lucky, and they rush for okay. That's exactly what we do. I think that the Eagles are going to be willing to take shots down the field. They're willing to be aggressive because I still don't think the Patriots' defense is that good. And there's a lot of personnel that is extremely talented on this Eagles' offense. And Doug Peterson and those coaches there have done a really, really good job all year long with the play calling. I, I, the one guy, ahead, the one guy that's going to give the the Patriots a little trouble tomorrow is Nelson Aguilar out of the slot. That that will be it. The two wide receivers are not guys that can break away. The Patriots have two Pro Bowl caliber cornerbacks that played terrible the first half of the season because they didn't understand the defensive schemes and they got a little better each and every week and right now they're playing the best that they've played all season long uh, but they certainly no one's going to say Stefan Gilmore is not one of the more talented cornerbacks in the league the ultimate Patriots 
situation that happened this year, Gilmore got benched, and they would they would refuse to say that he got benched. Belichick was just like, "Yeah, we use a lot of players for a lot of different things." And it's like, <laughs> no, you benched him. We were watching. He didn't start. So, did you? Yeah. Was there a reason, performance wise, that he was benched? Uh, he couldn't just... understand the play. <laughs> I know. So, look, I, I, I tend to give guys a little bit of leeway when they're coming over to a new system. The Patriots typically don't, but they invested no. a lot in, in him, so they obviously had to give him some time. And you're right. Like here he is, ten games later after the benching or whatever it. You want to call it, and uh, they're in a good position. So, um, you agree with Kevin and I that Ertz is going to be the guy that they will try to eliminate first? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're going to eliminate him either. I think he's too good. Or like, neutralize, but, neutralize. Yeah, they, you know they'll try to keep him in. And Kevin made a good point. I think the Eagles will play some two tight ends, and you'll see Trey Burton have an opportunity to make some plays there. And I think you'll have an opportunity to see even Slack get out there uh, because he's a fine blocker and he'll make some catches. So I think you'll see a lot of two tight ends, especially if they try to run the ball early. You're going to see a lot of two tight ends and play action passes out of that. I think especially so in I, red zone, Tony, two tight yeah. ends. I don't think you can stop a guy like uh, totally Zach Ertz. You can definitely try to limit him there. But I think the two wide – Nelson Aguilar, to me, is the key on that defensive side because out of the slot, the Patriots have a tough time, and he's a matchup problem. They'll also probably look towards Torrey Smith down the field. Let me ask you this, Tony, and tell me if, if I'm delusional, because I know last time we had this conversation, you made a point that most people make, and it's Nick Foles is going up against Bill Belichick, and that doesn't yeah. sound great. But no. am I insane for thinking that the Eagles have the potential to score with the Patriots? See, I think I don't think so, because I don't like the wide receiver. Like, Torrey Smith's a one-dimensional, go, go deep receiver. But he serves a you purpose. Look at all, yeah, no, no, it's sort of like Brandon Cook. So similar there with a little with less skills. Alshon Jeffrey is is weird to me because like he can't get away from anyone, but he's caught ninety percent of the passes thrown to him in the postseason, which is a huge number, right? And he got that money uh, there, um, and not so even fifty percent during the regular season time. Yeah, like that's the whole thing. And you look at Nick Foles' quarterback numbers, right? His quarterback rating in the regular season was fifty three percent, which would get you shot. If you play, if you walk down the street in Philadelphia, right? That's the guy that's a fifth. We're going to shoot him, and then all of a sudden it's one twelve. You know, in two postseason games, the average yards so, per attempt jumped massively too. It was under six, I think, during the regular season games, and now it's over nine. Yeah, yeah, and I thought Mike did a good job of uh, today on the show talking about how the Eagles' pass rush will be neutralized, like. And, Kevin, you did a good job saying, you know, the Jaguars, the front four are better, but the Eagles have a better overall pairing. But the way to neutralize that is Brady will throw the ball in 3.2 seconds. They'll go no huddle so you can't get the guys in and off the field. And I don't think that's going to be a factor. Well, there, there's two things. One, even if, if you go no huddle on drive one, the Eagles have the ability then on drive two to give you almost an entirely different front four and still be as dangerous. And I mean, also at the end of the day, no huddle's not as effective if you get incompletions. And it doesn't matter if you go no huddle or not. If, if the Eagles can't force incompletions, then none of it matters because then he'll yeah. complete all of his passes. Yeah. Um, there was another. There was another thing I, I wanted to to ask and it's now escaping me well, let me let me ask him this so to, tony the total is for 48 and a half right now you like it to go over yeah i was i, I was under until 20 20 hours ago and i saw this and I'm, i keep looking at this cornerback matchup and i'm like you know what they're gonna score i keep having i keep my prediction is like 27 20 i do i am worried about the blowout component uh but what I would do, and I know people would think I'm a sucker for doing it, I would want to tease the Pats and the total down. So yeah. I get, I'll get a point and a half for the Pats, and I'll get the total down to where I want it, and I'll have my 47 in my back pocket, and I don't have to worry about the 48 and a half. Does that make sense? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? I, it's real interesting that though. If you look at it, the Patriots haven't scored a point in the first quarter in any of their Super yeah, Bowls. Like it, that's that's like hard to imagine. It pushes but the totals you know, down. It, yeah. If that's if that's tr- you know it, it's true, you would think it's got to be a point of emphasis in this one. And I'll tell you what, I think the Eagles, 
I think the Vikings got caught looking a little ahead last week, right? And they had injuries to two cornerbacks. The Eagles jumped on them early, and then they pounded them. I don't think they. I thought Mike Zimmer coached one of the worst games I ever seen coached last week. <laughs> but they did jump out to a seven nothing lead. No, I'm saying he they they jumped on them early, and they didn't. And the Vikings never fought back. The second that pick six happened, the game was over. It was amazing. It was crazy. It was an amazing. It was an amazing play, an amazing turnaround. But the game ended in the first quarter. <laughs> And it was really odd. <laughs> I mean, I'm the not taking anything team. away from the Eagles. I'm just saying they jumped on them, and there was nothing there. It was just yelling at the official, like nothing. Like you guys were talking about Jason Garrett earlier. Jason Garrett's a joke, man. <laughs> I, you talk about halftime adjustments. There's nothing. They have about they employ about 23 coaches on the Dallas staff. I don't understand how they can't fix things. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, there's not. Yeah, it's. Look, there's one guy that's got too much influence from the top of the food chain and down to the field, and I think it permeates that team, and it's why they kind of can't get out of their own way. So, Real real uh, quick, well, you didn't talk about one thing I want to ask you, too, about. Okay. I think the biggest a-hole in sports is the Atlanta Falcons owner, Arthur Blank. And today he showed it this week by uh, complaining that Robert Kraft's rubbing it in by putting 283 diamonds on the Super Bowl ring. I've never heard of that. 28 to 3. I heard that story. I've never heard a worse complaint of anybody in my life. Like, right? Like, I mean, that's history. That you're you're part of about. history. Tell out the blank to go talk to Bill Buckner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Buckner's still famous. <laughs> he's trying. He's, he goes on YouTube every day and, is, and reports those videos of him getting the ball go right through his legs. And he's trying get him off the internet. Don't that poor son of a gun down in New Orleans is going to be famous forever. Marcus Williams, Williams yeah, uh, probably. See, By the way, him, him bitching about the number of diamonds the Patriots use in their rings. <laughs> of all the things you're worried about, seriously, <laughs> like you guys hired Sarkeesian. <laughs> You're worried about the diamonds in the Patriots. Well, now, now you know why they did. He was like, they were like, who should we hire? He's like, I don't care. Figure it out. I need to talk to Goodell. I about these diamonds. Kraft is over here making some really insulting moves. So, Tony, give me a score. <laughs> Tony, give me a score. Uh, it's going to be 34 to 20. 34-20. Okay. So you, but, but you could see that being 34-13 and then the Eagles score one late to make it look good. Yeah, and uh, Nick Foles' parents will always keep the video. His parents apparently own a very uh, a, a well-known restaurant chain in all of Arizona. So he grew up with, like, he's not a hard scrabble kid. He's like, you know, his parents <laughs> were, like, rich. He was a rich kid. Well, there you have it. That. He, he's, he's I'm been, saying, that's not a Philly guy. They need a, yeah. They need a guy named Balboa. I mean, or Wentz, I think a North need, Dakota. We have tough to like kid. walk up the a bunch of steps or something on our way. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, again, Carson Wentz. We had this point once. Tony was like, "They got to get him off the sideline. Like they're risking someone running into him." And yeah. I was like, "He's shooting bison on the sideline. He doesn't care. Yeah. Like he's fine. I know, he's crazy. I would he's, take he's him off crazy. the sidelines. You put him in a luxury box, nice and warm. Anyway, he could. Um, I, don't, I think he'd run down. Tony's Tony's coming up uh, next with fantasy gold. That is with Joe Galina. Uh, they're going to talk Super Bowl. You're going to talk about the spoiled brats and. Major League Baseball that can't get signed. Boo-hoo, right? Major League Baseball players Only Association. Only 100 million. Yeah. Hey, so. I'll tell you what. Five guys is hiring. Five guys and fries. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And it's a dollar over minimum salary, uh, the minimum requirement, whatever that is these there days. And so. Fantasy football gold. Fantasy gold is next to Tony and Joe. Go We're out. Goals.